Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our hope. Uh, he is our life. Uh, there is uh, no other name in heaven and earth. Uh, Lord, we, we worship uh, your name this morning. We thank you for how your son has changed our hearts and our lives. Thank you, Lord, for how you are changing us. Uh, Lord, thank you that we have the opportunity to gather today and to hear from you, to open your word. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive uh, what you have for us today. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, that you have loved us first. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by uh, your spirit. Amen. Uh, you may have a seat. Uh, we find ourselves in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon delivered by Jesus uh, to a gathered crowd. Within that crowd, more than likely, uh, there were those who were Jesus' followers. They had heard the teachings of Jesus and given their lives to following after him. Uh, more than likely, in that crowd that day, there uh, may have been some fence-sitters, uh, some people who were uh, maybe interested in what Jesus had to say, but uh, maybe weren't committed followers of Christ. And then uh, there were some, admittedly, that day who uh, probably were not fans of Jesus. Uh, they had heard about him. Maybe they heard some of the stories, uh, but they were not interested in following Jesus with uh, their life. But Jesus comes onto the scene, and in Matthew chapter 4, he announces uh, that the kingdom has come. Uh, if you were to Google, if you were to get on Amazon and look up how many books there are about the kingdom of God, uh, you would find that there are roughly 10,000. And so what I decided to do is order all of them. Heads up, Seth. It might be a charge on the credit card. Uh, kind of decipher uh, what all of these various authors are trying to teach about the kingdom uh, and come to you with a clear definition. Uh, a few weeks ago, actually probably now a couple months ago, uh, we said that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he is referring uh, to God's reign through God's people over God's place. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over uh, God's place. God, in other words, is our king. Uh, he has come uh, to make right what has been made wrong uh, by sin. And God's kingdom is marked by God's power. Uh, God's kingdom is primarily uh, not about us. Uh, God's kingdom is about God. Uh, God is the king of his kingdom. And so when we talk about uh, the coming of God's kingdom, we're not primarily talking about all of the good things that you and I can do uh, to create a utopia here on earth, we're primarily uh, talking about God as our king and what he has come to do. I love what one author said. He wrote, God's kingdom is not the culmination of human potential and effort, but the uh, intervention of his royal grace into a sinful and broken world. Uh, God, the creator king, reigns over all his creatures, but he also reigns through his people. And this is how God has uh, designed it uh, from the beginning. God has called a people unto himself uh, to rule and to reign through. And so when God does a work in us, 
Uh, He works in us for a purpose, for a reason. We're not to be bystanders in the world. We're not simply to sit back and watch the world pass us by. Uh, We are to move into the chaos of the world and through the grace of God and by the grace of God create order. So God has saved us for a reason and for a purpose. We're saved from death and for life. We are saved from shame and for glory. We're saved from slavery to freedom. We're saved from sin and for following our Savior. So God's kingdom is God's reign uh, through God's people and over uh, God's place. In the beginning of God's story, uh, God placed his people uh, in a place. We read about humanity in uh, the Garden of Eden, and that uh, place was uh, created in such a way that uh, mankind was called by God uh, to cultivate it. But because of human sin, God's good creation uh, experienced the fallout of the fall, and so we live in a fallen and a broken world. You turn on the news, uh, you hop online and look at the latest headlines, and you quickly realize that the world that we live in is hardwired not to work. Right? Things don't work the way that uh, we want them to. And so the Bible is God's rescue story, not about God rescuing sinners from a broken creation, but about Him rescuing them for a new creation. And sometimes when we think about God's rescuing work, uh, we think that God's primary uh, intent is just to pluck us out of the crazy world that we live in so we can forget about this place and we can go to heaven. Have you ever think that before? You're navigating through the mess of life and you're thinking to yourself, I just got to get out of here. Right? This, this place does not work the way that I want it to. I can hardly wait until I leave here and go there. When Scripture talks about kingdom, I I don't know if really that is the primary way that God wants us to view it or to look at it. Uh, Instead, um, God is doing something in and through His people, even here and now. The world has fallen and and broken. This is not utopia. And yet God has called us to press in to the world where we live. This is the reason that in the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer that Billy preached on a couple months ago, uh, Jesus taught his followers to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And so we want God to uh, restore his creation and even here. Right? We, want, we want to be difference makers by the grace of God in the world where we live. We don't want to pull back from creation. We want to press into it. And so some 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke to a group of people on a hillside, and he started to paint them a picture of what does it look like for us to live in this world that God created. He gave them a a kingdom ethic. He's teaching his people when God changes us, when he begins to sanctify us, this is what it looks like for us to live out our new relationship uh, with the Lord. And so he continues painting that picture in Matthew uh, chapter 7 uh, with what many of us refer to as the golden rule. And so long introduction, but Matthew chapter 7, 
beginning in verse 12, says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also uh, to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then Jesus speaks these words, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, uh, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Uh, really, verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7 provides a bookend on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we see Jesus almost kind of close that thought together by, by saying, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. Uh, this is the law and the prophets. For as long as I can remember, I knew the golden rule, or at least I knew of uh, the golden rule. I, I tried to think of this past week of when I first heard it, and as best as I can recall, my memory is a little fuzzy, but, but I think that my mother taught it to me. I have an older brother, some of you may uh, know him, and I, again, my memory is a little fuzzy, but I think m more more than likely, we probably had a disagreement one day. Perhaps, and again, I don't know this for sure, but we didn't see eye to eye. And so we hashed it out, not through like strongly worded letters, but we, we practice wrestling moves on one another. When you grow up, watching people slap on the figure four, and put people into full Nelsons, you decide these seem like moves that would be appropriate for me to try out on my brother. And so I'm sure to this date, that's what was going down, that's what was happening again. I don't remember the details, I just remember that he probably was wrong, and I won. My mother came to us and said, no, 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 boys, no, no, do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. Right? If you don't want other people practicing wrestling moves on you, you don't practice wrestling moves on them. If you don't want someone to slug you, you don't slug them. If you don't want someone to say unkind words to you or talk about you behind your back, don't say unkind words about other people or talk about them behind their back. Right, oftentimes when we think of the golden rule, it's couched in such a way that we have a tendency to think about the negative, uh, but, but not the positive. Other world religions um, do the same thing. They, they read this and they just assume that this is written in such a way that it, it means you don't want people doing bad things to you, don't do bad things to other people. Uh, a well-known Jewish rabbi hundreds and hundreds of years ago, near the time of Jesus, wrote, uh, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. This is the whole law, all else is explanation. And so here's this Jewish rabbi, his, his role is to interpret Scripture, and he looks at uh, the law of God, and he says, I mean, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. That's the whole law, all else is explanation. Just, just get that right, and you'll be okay. And, and that's true, that's true. However, it's not couched in the negative. Did you notice that? 
Jesus said, for whatever you wish that others would do to you, like do, do also to them. Right? For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, if you want to be loved, then, then love others. If you want to be the kind of person who receives grace, then extend it. If you want to be someone who is loved and cared for, then go out of your way to love and to care for others. In other words, what Jesus is teaching here is is not simply the thought of don't do bad things to other people. He is saying, no, do, do good. Do good in the world. In other words, we can't sit back and think to ourselves, well, I was kind of an innocent bystander in life. I didn't really do anything bad. I didn't do anything wrong. I just, I'm, I'm sort of innocent. And Jesus goes, no, it doesn't work that way. I remember a number of years ago, I had a pretty persuasive friend who uh, encouraged me to sign up for an adult soccer league. I played soccer one season when I was just a little guy. I think I was 11 or 12 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. I was the kid that just simply chased after the ball wherever it went. I've learned as I've gotten older that that's actually not an effective way to play the sport. You actually get really tired just spending the whole time chasing the ball. But I thought to myself, that was 30 years ago. I have a bad back now, so let's give it another try. And so... I signed up, and I still remember uh, just the butterflies that I was feeling for that first game. I was playing defense. They had me in the back, the way back, uh, where I wouldn't do a whole lot of damage, or at least that's what their hope was. I played the game. I I ran around. I tried not to chase the ball as much as I did when I was a little kid, Uh, but I I didn't really know how I performed. I didn't know how I did. And so I, I ran off the field, and I approached one of my friends, John, who actually spent his life playing soccer. He had coached soccer. His kids played soccer. He was around soccer all the time. And I said, John, I got to ask you, how did I do? And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, well, well, James, you didn't do anything bad. And I thought to myself, that's right. I didn't do anything bad. And then soon after that, like right away, he said, and you didn't do anything good. Um, uh, Jesus doesn't want us to live life like I play soccer. He doesn't want us to simply sit back and go, well, I didn't do anything bad. Instead, he, he calls us to good. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, uh, for this is the law and prophets. He says that we should do this not not because we're trying to manipulate people or ultimately get what we want. He says that we should do this because this is the law and the prophets. This is the life that God has called us to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. As you think about your faith walk, your walk with Jesus, your living for him, how are you doing at loving others. Not just avoiding what is bad, but pursuing what is good. 
After Jesus makes this statement and kind of closes that section of the Sermon on the Mount, he closes by contrasting three different things, uh, or two, two, two paths, two trees, and two houses. And, and he shares here in verse uh, 13 and 14 about two uh, different paths. Uh, if, if you were listening in when we read this passage this morning, or even if you looked ahead last week, um, you, you know that these words that Jesus speaks here um, are not popular in our culture today. Um, they're actually somewhat uh, divisive. He speaks to the crowd on the hillside that day, enter by the narrow gate, uh, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Again, culturally, this message, this metaphor, this picture of two paths that Jesus is painting is not uh, popular. Uh, we, we want to be inclusive. Uh, we, we tell people things like, hey, uh, you do you, pursue your truth. You, you do essentially what you want to do. And other people are called to essentially stay out of the way to stay out of your business. And yet, um, this metaphor that Jesus uh, uses here uh, confronts us. Right? He, he steps on our toes a little bit. Uh, three observations about this text. Number one, God's way is restrictive. God's way is restrictive. He says to the crowd, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. You can Imagine the picture in your mind's eye. There is a, a wide road with, uh, with traffic that is flowing. It's easy for people uh, to take this path. It says so. It says that it's easy, for the gate is wide and easy. And then there's another path that, that's narrow, and it's difficult, and it's hard. When, it, when I read this, I thought of the picture or the image of what it's like when you leave a sporting event and you're in a stadium of 30, 40, 50,000 people, the final whistle goes off or you hear the horn. I always leave early, so I'm never around for that. I want to be traffic, which I think is wise. But if you stay for the whole thing, you go down the escalator or you start walking toward the front door and you look up. And what do you do? You, you look for um, the, the path of least resistance. You see where people are moving and where it is easy to get through. And you go that way. If you look over here and you see congestion, if there's a bottleneck, if, if people are like on top of each other and it's not moving, you go, I'm going to avoid that. When you're driving and you have to go through a toll, you look up, you survey all of the lanes, and what do you do? You find the quickest one, the easiest one. You don't stand in line and wait. We, we naturally gravitate uh, toward what is easy. And Jesus is telling the crowd that that is not uh, the way to go. The, the wide path, the easy path, um, is the path, according to Jesus, that leads to destruction. And yet... 
our natural bent is toward the easy path. And I, I just, just naturally, in and of ourselves, we, we tend to gravitate uh, toward what is met with ease or comfort. Um, Jesus isn't teaching that his way is difficult because you need to earn life with him, uh, but, but he is teaching that his way is restrictive uh, in the sense that it is his way and not our own. Right? So the, the mindset or the mentality that says, I'm going to kind of live my life and do what I want to do and chase after what I want to chase after, uh, Jesus is telling the crowd um, that uh, leads to death. It leads to death. And so Jesus in his teaching is restrictive in, in nature. He, he says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God the Father but through me. This is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus requires repentance. It requires us getting honest with ourselves and who we are apart from Christ, being open and honest about our need uh, for Him. And, and that, is, that is not easy. It's not easy. Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right uh, to a man, but its end is the way uh, to death. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, but, but he is the way. The way of Jesus is not easy. I love what D.A. Carson writes in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, poverty of spirit is not easy. A prayer is not easy. A righteousness is not easy. Transformed, God-centered attitudes are not easily achieved. In fact, these things are impossible for us apart from God's grace. They are alien to much of what is in us and which cries out to be heard, and therefore, the realignment that is part and parcel of genuine conversion is a, a confining thing. So Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The way of Jesus is the way uh, to life, and it is a way uh, to experience lasting, eternal joy. Um, but it is, it is not the easy way. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, tell me about the path of least resistance, I will tell you there is a path to least resistance, but it is a path of death. It is a path of destruction. There is another way. Right? So Jesus is telling the crowd that his way is narrow. It's restrictive. Uh, secondly, observation from the words of Jesus is that the narrow way is not found by following or pleasing the crowd. The narrow way is not found by following or pleasing the crowd. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Following the crowd can feel freeing. I mean, like when you're a part of the multitudes, when you look around and you are one of many, uh, when you are in the majority, I, I mean, there can be something about that that feels freeing and life-giving. 
Because uh, you look around and think to yourself, like, we, <laughs> we can't all be wrong, can we? I mean, here we all are. I was at a restaurant one time. I was sitting outside, and someone uh, from out of town stopped by, and he approached the table outside and introduced himself. I didn't know this man. I had never met him before. But through a quick conversation, I learned that he was an out-of-town guest. And I asked him, I said, sir, how did you decide to come here and eat breakfast at this place? And he said, I'll be honest with you, I was driving by and I saw the crowd and I thought to myself, all of these people can't be wrong. And I thought, yeah, all of these people can't be wrong. Right? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The narrow way is not found by, by following the crowd and the narrow way is not found by pleasing the crowd. There, there is a, a temptation uh, to live our lives seeking uh, to please the crowd. I wish we kicked this habit when we graduated from school. Like, I, I wish you could be done with high school and get your diploma and get, like, a little card that says, I'm free from the court of public opinion. But you know it doesn't work that way, right? Oftentimes, we, we care deeply about the opinion of the crowd or pleasing the crowd. I, I've mentioned this scene uh, before from, uh, from the movie Gladiator, parents, this is not an endorsement for you to gather your children around your television sets tonight for family movie. I just, there's just this scene, though, that's just so powerful to me. Uh, Ma Maximus, uh, played by, by Russell Crowe, the gladiator, is, is essentially fighting for his life. He's fighting for his freedom. His, his owner, his slave owner, who was at one time a gladiator himself, Proximo, they're, they're having this conversation. And Maximus, Russell Crowe, says, you ask me what I want, I too want to stand before the emperor as you did. Proximo says, then listen to me and learn from me. I wasn't the best because I killed quickly. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Win the crowd and you will win your freedom. And Maximus says, I will win the crowd. I will give them something they have never seen before. Win the crowd, and you will win your freedom. And every time I hear that line, I can't help but think to myself, that is a lie. If you spend your life trying to win the crowd, by spending life in, on the wide road, you will become a slave to the crowd. You become a slave to the crowd. That is not where freedom lies. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Now, the narrow gate um, is traveled by few. Few find it. I don't, I don't know the numbers. We don't have numbers. It just says that there are many people who travel the wide road and the narrow road is found by a few. Third observation, the path that you're on has eternal significance. 
The path that you're on has eternal significance. You may not realize it, you may not feel it, but the path you are on is taking you somewhere. You are, you are going somewhere. And whether you realize it or not, you will end up somewhere uh, if you stay on the path that you are on. A number of months ago, I was taking uh, my son to a friend's house. Uh, he kind of lives through a number of country roads that oftentimes we take to get to his house. Uh, I know one way to get there, and I, and I go the same way just about every single time. And on this one particular occasion, as I was uh, taking him to his friend's house, perhaps we were coming back from his friend's house, I don't remember which, I just remember looking up and I saw a sign on the road where I was supposed to go that said, road closed ahead. You've seen these signs before. And I thought, this is the way that I always go. I always go this way. Why would they put a sign on there that says, road closed ahead? And so what did I do? I did what any other man would do in my situation. I drove around the sign and got on my road. Because that's the way that I wanted to go. And I, and I was on the road. And I was driving down the road. And I was looking over my shoulder. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I figured something out here. I figured I'm going to get to where I want to go. And just about the time I had that thought, I looked up. And there was another sign that simply read, Road Closed. And I looked up and saw the big equipment. And they had dug up of the road. The road that I was on led to a dead end. It didn't matter if I enjoyed the ride when I was on the road. It didn't matter that I was thinking to myself that I was, uh, I was like doing one up on the man who put the sign out there. All I knew is that I was on the road and the road ended and it said road closed. It's possible that some of you are on the wrong road. And you may enjoy the road. You may feel a certain level of freedom on the road. But can I tell you, the, the road leads to a dead end. Up ahead, it's closed. Luke chapter 13 Verse 22 says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And when someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Uh, Christ Point, you're, you're on a path, uh, you're, you're on a road, and there's a, there's a wide road that feels easy, uh, that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow road that is difficult, but it leads to life. And I want 
I want us, I want us to be on the narrow road together. You get on the narrow road not through human ingenuity, uh, not because you're a particularly smart little bear or because you've figured things out. You don't earn your way onto the narrow road. Uh, you travel uh, the narrow road by faith in Jesus. Uh, the Jesus who was God and man, who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died a sinner's death. He was buried and he rose again, defeating death and offering life uh, to you and to me. Uh, may you, by the grace of God, experience uh, that life this morning through faith in Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, God, it is my hope and it is my, my prayer this morning that, that we would be a people who experience life. Lord, if there are, are people here this morning, whether it's in this barn or watching online at home, uh, who, who do not know you, uh, who have not placed their faith and their trust uh, in you, uh, then I pray that they would do that uh, today, that they just would confess to you that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that you would grant to them through and by the power of your Spirit a life everlasting. May, may we be a, a narrow road kind of people and experience uh, the life that is ours. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.